In the following live session recording, Levi Skipper, former senior pastor with Concord Baptist in Claremont, Georgia, and now evangelism catalyst for the Georgia Baptist Mission Board, discusses the topic, Preaching with Power and Purpose. Preaching is hard. What if there were a way to ease the stress and improve your delivery at the same time? Join us as we discover ways to be more purposeful behind the pulpit. Sunday is coming. Are you ready? Let's join Levi now. But anyway, grateful that y'all are here this afternoon. Y'all, um, really it's kind of interesting because I was invited to do this um, a little over a year ago. So it's before I actually came on board and on staff with the Georgia Baptist Mission Board. And uh, I did not put together what was happening. I'm gonna teach a breakout session on preaching with power and purpose. And then we're all going into the general session for the end, and then I'm preaching. So I feel like I got to preach with power and purpose this afternoon. And uh, y'all are going to be judging me very hard. But anyway, I am grateful that you're here today. And what I want to do, uh, basically, to make this super simple for all of us, is I want to break up this two part um, lesson today and really talk about preaching with power first and then preaching with purpose. And the way that I've broken it up for us to make it simple for us to kind of walk through it is with two key questions. So at the top, you've got how do we experience power in our preaching? And then the second question is how do we experience purpose in our preaching? And if you can kind of see underneath the first question, there's the word there. What word is that? Pray. Yeah, pray. And then under the second one, what word is that? Plan. Pray and plan. So basically, that's all I have to share with you. We'll pray and we'll be dismissed. That's pretty easy, right? I'm just messing with you. But that's going to serve as an acrostic and kind of an outline for where we're headed today. So with that in mind, let me pray for us and then we'll dive in. Father, I'm grateful for each one of these men who are present. Lord, I thank you for their leadership in their local church. Thank you for their heart to be able to share the gospel with others. And Lord, I pray uh, as all of us have an opportunity to preach that we would experience power in our preaching and we'd also experience purpose in our preaching. And Father, use our time together today so that it adds value to every single one of us. And Lord, I, I trust that not only will what's being presented add value, but what is received from these guys in my own life will also bear fruit. So Lord, thank you that we have an opportunity just to talk about such an important subject. So be glorified and we'll give you praise for it. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, yeah. Amen. All right, so let's go ahead and dive right in. And uh, I'm not real sure what time this is over. Anybody know what time this ends? So, do what now? Whenever I finish. All right, so 2.45, you're my, you're my timekeeper back there, okay? So, the first question, obviously, is how do we experience power in our preaching? And uh, pray, so the P in that acrostic stands for personal devotion. Personal devotion. So, a preacher does not possess power within himself. I think you guys agree with that, right? He receives power from God and God alone. So, a preacher needs the touch of God upon his day-to-day -day life, not simply in his pulpit ministry. Every single preacher needs a daily standing appointment with God. Do you all agree with that? So, this is absolutely huge. Those who preach with power uh, are those who spend time alone with the Lord. And what I've discovered throughout the years, when you get to know a pastor, it's very disappointing to find out that he's a different person out of the pulpit than he is in the pulpit. Right? I love the idea of a guy being the same uh, no matter where you find him. I experienced that when I was in high school. I had a pastor who was a phenomenal preacher. And uh, I would say he preached with both power and purpose. But what I loved most about my pastor at that time was he was the same guy outside of the pulpit. So whenever I spent time with him throughout the week and even went on visitation with him several times, he was always the same. Something about that was just extremely encouraging to me. I always get a little uh, weirded out by those guys who are completely different. Are you all with me on that? It's like, what's going on with you, man? But anyway, so personal devotion. Now, Jesus modeled this for you and I. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 35, the Bible says about Jesus, in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place, and he was praying there. All right, so Jesus went away to a place at a certain time and spent time with his heavenly Father. Now, what's unique about that text to me is what happened the day before that event occurred in the life of Jesus that we have recorded in Mark's Gospel, and that is the busyness of his schedule. So when you read about the life of Jesus the day prior to what we read about him spending time alone with the Lord, 
what you see is that he, he gets up and goes to the synagogue and he stands up and he begins to uh, teach at the synagogue. That's when you know people begin to say, we've never heard anybody speak with such authority. Y'all remember that? Uh, they were flabbergasted is what the text actually teaches. But he's teaching and while he's in the midst of his teaching, a demon-possessed man shows up. Uh, that makes for a crazy sermon, doesn't it? But then he casts out the demon and then once he's finished teaching, uh, in the synagogue, he's immediately invited to go to Peter's mother-in-law's house because she's sick. So Peter said, would you pray for her? Which uh, is interesting, right? If you have a mother-in-law, I, I'm not praying for mine or y'all, but I'm just, that was a joke. But anyway, so Peter and Jesus, they go to mother-in-law's house. He prays, she's healed. But in the course of them going to the mother-in-law's house, all of a sudden now everybody has followed. The word is out that he has the ability to heal and cast out demons. So the scripture actually says that the entire city showed up outside that house and they were there wanting a piece of Jesus, right? Wanting ministry from Jesus. So Jesus ministers and then the end of the day finally rolls around. And although we know he is God in the flesh, he did live life as a man. And so he would have been no doubt absolutely exhausted. So when he goes to bed that night, lays his head down on the pillow, no doubt he fell fast asleep. But what I love about Mark's gospel is that the very next morning, he gets up while it is still dark, goes to a secluded place, and spends time alone with God the Father. And when I read that, it reminds me of the importance in our lives as those who deliver the God, God's Word on a regular basis, how important it is that we spend time alone with the Father in conversation. So just studying the life of Jesus, I just came up with a few things that helped me. Uh, we all need to set a time of uninterrupted conversation with God. So Jesus chose early in the morning. Uh, the point that I want us to see is that He chose a time. And you and I both need a time in our lives that's set aside for an actual appointment with the Lord. And uh, I always look at it that way. Set an appointment, and if I set the appointment, I don't want to miss the appointment. You with me? It's just like having an appointment to go eat lunch with somebody. You want to make sure that you show up. So we all need to identify a time that we can habitually keep so that we can spend time alone with the Lord in conversation. Jesus also teaches us to set a place where we can actually talk with God. So Jesus left the house, as the Scripture says, went to a secluded place. The, the place was so secluded that when the disciples woke up that morning, they couldn't find Jesus. They went looking for Him, right? So He set aside this place so that He could actually be alone with God. So the point for us really is that we need to take away uh, this idea of needing a place where we can get along with the Lord personally and actually have a conversation with Him. You know, it was a few years ago, uh, that I was invited to go and do a tour of In Touch Ministries. Y'all ever heard of that? It's a little outfit. <laughs> Charles Stanley. Right. But anyway, so what was unique about it, though, is they walked. It was just a group of us. We were pastors, and they were kind of walking us around, showing us everything. And then they gave us the opportunity to go in uh, Stanley's office, which was exciting, right? I love going in pastors' offices. I like going in and seeing what commentaries they have on the shelf, you know. And I look at all of the commentaries that Stanley has on his shelf, and I'm looking at them, and I've got all the same commentaries. First of all, that's one thing I thought. And I was like, why can't I preach like Stanley? But anyway, I got all this stuff, but then the lady who was leading this particular tour said, what's really unique, though, is this place right over here. And she walks around kind of to the corner of the office, and she opens up a door, and all of us walk, and we kind of poke our head in, because it's an extremely small room, and it just had some pillows on the floor, and it had a picture on the wall and we were like so what is this and she said this is his prayer closet and the reason that the pillows are there is because his knees are bad but this is where he spends time alone with the lord and i just remember walking out of that first of all feeling horrible that i didn't pray enough are y'all with me on that but then secondly realizing if you listen to charles stanley preach what's unique is uh, sometimes we think preaching with power is that we raise our voice and yell and spit and scream and sweat and stomp. Charles Stanley does none of that. And yet there's great power in his preaching. So what is it that gives him power in his preaching? I think it all goes back to the fact he's got a place that he meets alone with God and he prays. So the reality is, I would say that to all of us, it doesn't matter the dynamic of your voice doesn't matter if you spit and scream and spit, you know, stomp or whatever. The reality of a powerful message is backed by a personal walk with the Lord. And so when you and I spend time alone with the Lord, the Lord gives us power to preach. So 
I kind of have had this in my life, but just places in our house where I get along with the Lord. So right now, uh, it's on our back porch because all of our kids are getting up to go to school and you know they make noise. Are y'all with me? And so uh, I just got this place. So I, that's where I want to get along with the Lord. I have an appointment with Him uh, each morning, sit along with Him, listen to Him uh, through His Word, and uh, talk to Him through prayer. And this is, this is something that, that has just been a discipline in my life that really was driven in me as a teenager. Uh, maybe even younger than that. I remember my dad took me to Lifeway back when they had stores. Y'all remember those days? And um, I was going to buy a new Bible. And I found a Bible, and I was like, Dad, this is what I like. I love this Bible. And so he, he looks at it, and uh, on, the, on the edge of the, the paper of the Bible had gold edges, like gold on every single page. You know? And he's like, man, that's got gold on it. Yeah. I was like, yeah, man, it sure does. So my dad said, he said, I'll buy this for you if you make a promise you'll read it every day. All right? So I was like, yeah, I'll read it every day. And for whatever reason, that stuck with me. And uh, that's been a discipline that I've sought to have in my life on a regular basis. And I think for every single one of us as pastors or preachers, if we're not careful, that can be one thing that will crawl off the table for us. We get extremely busy doing ministry, got a lot of phone calls to make, a lot of visits to make, etc., a lot of sermons to prepare. And we actually can, if we're not careful, give up our time alone with the Lord. And that's absolutely the worst possible thing that we can do. To me, that's the number one priority for every single Christian, but also for every single pastor, that you spend time alone with the Lord. And you're spending quality time in His Word too, right? And I always encourage guys in ministry, uh, because this was given to me, whatever you're studying in your personal devotion, don't make it the same thing as what you're preaching on. Separate those two things. And I'll tell you the reason that I have found that to be helpful is if I'm sitting there having a personal devotion, but simultaneously putting together sermons, you know what's going to happen? I'm not going to be listening to the Lord. I'm going to be asking, what is it that I'm going to preach to these guys next time I see them? So I want to separate those two things, kind of compartmentalize my time alone with the Lord and my actual study for sermon preparation. So if I'm preaching through the book of Acts, then I'm going to be personally uh, reading through something in the Old Testament, something completely different, just to kind of help me compartmentalize those. And that's a, a huge benefit just for me personally. So when we give ourselves the personal devotion, it's going to be reflected in our preaching ministry with passion. Now, the flip of that is true as well. If we're not giving our time to personal devotion with Jesus, then it's going to be reflected in our preaching. That's going to be evidenced in how we deliver God's Word. See, authentic passion in public proclamation is fueled by an authentic passion for Jesus in private devotion. I love this statement. I read it by Dave Kraft in Leaders Who Last. He says this, We've got to remember that this idea called passion and power is based upon our personal relationship with Jesus, plus a clear purpose of what we are called to do. Out of these, God ignites passion within us. Passion that influences for the long haul is not man-made. Passion is a God thing, not a personality thing. And then here's another great statement from a guy named Marshall Fernandan. He says, the most powerful weapon on earth is the human soul on fire. That's pretty good, right? And then D.L. Moody was once asked how he became so engaging and passionate in his communication of the gospel. So he responded by saying that the, before he was to speak, he would go out into a field all by himself and ask God to set him on fire. That's a pretty good prayer, isn't it? And I love the idea, too, of... Uh, I was reading about Charles Spurgeon one time... And, uh, somebody quoted, uh, not Charles Spurgeon, but quoted basically what somebody else had said concerning Charles Spurgeon, and that was Charles Spurgeon has uh, been set on fire by God and people show up to watch him burn. That's pretty good, isn't it? So when you think about your personal time alone with the Lord, just consider that kindling wood on the passion for preaching in your life. And don't allow the fire to go out. Make sure you're spending time alone with the Lord. That makes good sense, doesn't it? So personal devotion. The R in the pray acrostic is uh, pastors need a real need for God's power. A real need for God's power. So as preachers, we should never assume that we've got it going on. The moment we think we can preach without the power of God is the moment we need to stop preaching. Y'all agree with that? 
So realizing our genuine need for God makes us desperate for His touch upon our lives. Paul the Apostle expressed his need for God's touch in his preaching ministry. Here's what he writes in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 3. He says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. And I love when I read you know, Paul's ministry, the letters that he writes, because Paul says, listen, I, I showed up to preach to you and to teach you the gospel, but when I showed up, I came with fear and trembling. I was extremely inadequate. But I didn't want you to rest your faith in me, Paul says, but instead in the power of God. So that's a, a good statement for every single one of us that we've got to remember preaching isn't about persuading people to like us as the pastor, nor is preaching designed for us uh, to impress those people who are listening. That's not the goal. Right? Preaching is about Jesus. Y'all with me on that one? So when your sermon is over with, uh, if they walk out talking more about you than they do Jesus, somewhere along the line we've missed the mark. Right? You want them to be in love with Jesus, not in love with you. Now, our adequacy in preaching is not in ourselves, but it is actually in Jesus. Here's what Paul writes, 2 Corinthians 3.5. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. So you and I, as followers of Jesus and as preachers of God's Word, need God's power because preaching really is a spiritual battle. And this is huge, right? Dr. Anthony George, uh, who taught last weekend, I sat in his session, he made this statement, and it stuck with me. Satan unleashes hostility upon those who are preaching Jesus. Right? So if you're preaching Jesus, you've got to know that you are the tip of the spear in spiritual warfare. And you and I have to be prepared for that. And spiritual warfare doesn't just happen when we step behind the pulpit to preach. Spiritual warfare is something we are engaged in nonstop, leading all the way up to that moment of preaching. Now, here's something true about spiritual warfare that a lot of people don't talk about for some reason, but spiritual warfare happens in the context of relationships. Matter of fact, when you read Ephesians 6, you'll read, and y'all know the text where he says, we don't wrestle against, what is it? Flesh and blood, right? But against the principalities of darkness, etc. But before he makes that statement, if you back up in the book of Ephesians, you'll discover he's talking about relationships. So he talks about the relationships that people have in, or have in the context of the church. And then he moves into the home and he talks about relationships between husbands and wives and then parents and children and then masters and slaves as we apply today, employers and employees. And then he says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. So what is the deal here? What is Paul really teaching us? He's teaching us that spiritual warfare happens in the context of relationships. The enemy wants to divide our relationship with God and he wants to divide our relationships with others. And the reason that he attacks those relationships is because the, the gospel sets sail on the river of relationships. So wherever the enemy can drive a wedge or put a dam in your relationship with that person or that person, he's hindering the flow of the gospel. And because Satan hates the gospel so much, he's going to attack our relationships. So we have to be cognitive of the reality that the enemy is always trying to drive wedges in our relationship. That's why on Sunday morning it's hard to preach if you had an argument with your wife on Saturday. That's also why your wife gets on your nerves on Saturday. Are y'all listening? It's because the enemy knows if I can get in between this relationship, it's going to hinder his ability to stand up and preach tomorrow. So we've got to be on guard at all times as followers of Jesus, but also as preachers of God's Word to realize our problem is not flesh and blood. Your problem isn't your wife. Your problem isn't that deacon. And if you are fighting them, you're fighting the wrong battle. And as long as you're fighting the wrong battle, you're always going to lose. right? So we've got to fight the spiritual battle. And that's what Paul the Apostle is talking about in the book of Ephesians. But when you stand up to preach... The spiritual battles that you'll have in your life are the same ones I have, right? You have self-doubt. Y'all ever feel this way? It's like, I don't know if I really need to be preaching this. I'm a little nervous about this. Y'all wait. I'm preaching at the end. I'm, I feel totally inadequate to preach this afternoon, right? 
the self-doubt begins to creep in. At the same time, uh, the enemy will, you know, he's, he's the accuser, right? He loves to remind you of the sin that you've committed this week. Father, remind you of the sin you committed five years ago, right? He's, he's the accuser of the brethren. That's what he does. There's temptations, right? The enemy will tempt you in areas that you weren't even looking for or thinking about. But it's because he knows he wants to distract you from really preaching with power the gospel of Jesus. So he's going to come against you. At the same time, when you and I preach, we're battling the carnal resistance of those who were in the fellowship. So whenever you preach, whenever I preach, there's a spiritual battle that's waging for the attention of every single person in the room. That's an amazing thought, right? You and I can't see it because it's in the spiritual realm, but the reality is the enemy wants to pluck every truth from the heart of those that you are speaking to. So he, y'all read about that, right? Jesus talked about that, the parable of the seed and the sower. The, the crows come in and grab that seed. That's what Satan does. Satan is working. Uh, the demons are working throughout every single message trying to steal the message. That's what he does, right? Steal, kill, and destroy. So he's trying to steal the message from every single person's heart. You know, it reminds me in the Old Testament, and y'all help me, I may be wrong on the person. It's either Elijah or Elisha. But the enemies were showing up and Elisha's servant, I think it was Elisha's servant, goes out and is all nervous and comes and wakes up the prophet. It's like, you're not going to believe this. We're all out here. We're all going to die. And then Elisha goes out and looks and he's like, no, nah, we'll be fine. Why did he say that? Because he saw the angel armies surrounding the camp, right? So there's a unseen spiritual reality all around us. And when you and I preach, we need to be aware that the enemy is at work but we also need to be reminded that greater is He that's in us than He who is in the world, right? So we're trusting in Jesus really to give the power necessary. But just to kind of throw a few things out there that the audience are dealing with, they're dealing with sinfulness in the pews, right? And some of you, you know this, right? Because you've counseled some and you're fixing to get up and preach now and you know what they're going through. I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but I've had sermons written already, manuscript out, and then I had a counseling session with a, a family or with a couple. And every single thing that's going on in their life is exactly what I'm preaching that next Sunday. Have y'all ever had this happen? I literally stop and I tell them, listen, I've already written a sermon for Sunday. I can pull it up and you can look at it. I don't want you to think I'm talking about you Sunday. But this is what God has for you. You with me? That's huge. So you know there's sinfulness out there. You know there's also stubbornness in the pews. Have y'all seen that before? When you're preaching and people sit there and look at you like you're ugly the whole time, right? There's stubbornness there. There's selfishness in the pew. There's laziness in the pew. I've always been encouraged when I read the book of Acts and um, Paul the Apostle was preaching. And uh, y'all remember this, this story, the, the guy sitting up in the windowsill and he falls asleep. What was that guy's name? I don't even remember. Do what? That's it, Eutychus. We'll go with that anyway. I don't know if that's right or not. I'm just kidding. Eutychus is up there, and what happens to him? He falls asleep, falls out the windowsill on his head, breaks his neck, and he dies. And then Paul the Apostle goes out there, and he prays for him, brings him back to life, and then goes back to preaching. Y'all with me? First of all, I was encouraged somebody fell asleep while Paul was preaching. Somebody said, hey, man, right? Because they fell asleep when I was preaching. Secondly, and I've shared this with groups before, if you fall asleep while I'm preaching and die, I'm glad. You deserve to die. You're going to stay dead. I, don't, I can't raise you from the dead. Y'all with me on that? That's what you get. So this is the, uh, a concept. When you and I are preaching, there are always carnal, lazy people in the pews. Are y'all with me on that? Does you, y'all's church don't have that? Oh, yeah. Y'all act like you don't know what I'm talking about. So what do we need? We need the power of God whenever we preach so that we stay faithful regardless of the response of those who are listening. Now the A in pray stands for authority of Scripture. The authority of Scripture. Whenever you preach, whenever I preach, we always need to be driving people back to the Word of God. God's Word needs to be the main character, so to speak, in the context of your sermon. If you're getting up and you're kind of talking for 20 minutes and then you read a Bible verse, you haven't preached. You've given a speech and it may have been encouraging to people, but it wasn't preaching. 
So the scripture needs to be something that people are pointed back to, that they are growing from, that they are learning from. And whenever you preach, whenever I preach, we're really teaching people simultaneously how to study the Word of God. So we want to make sure we're bringing them back to the scripture. You know, I, I started preaching uh, at an early age. I was 19 when I started preaching. And then uh, when I first started pastoring, I was 23, which made no sense. I think back to that, I'm like, these people are crazy. But they invited me to come and be their pastor, and uh, I accepted. So my wife and I, we moved. We lived in Austell, Georgia at that time. And um, I remember after I kind of, you know, accepted the position to, to pastor there, sitting by myself one day thinking, what in the world am I doing? Right, it was a small church. The majority of the church, probably 80%, were uh, senior adults. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm 23 years old. What am I going to get up and tell all these people? Right? And so there was this overwhelming inadequacy that fell in my life. And then the Lord took me to His Word. And you've heard this before, but let me read it to you. It's where Paul writes young Timothy and says this, All Scripture is inspired by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Now here's the part that's huge. He says, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So what did Paul tell Timothy who was young in the ministry? He said, your goal is not to get up there and share your opinions with the congregation. You share with them the Word of God and it will be God's Word that will make you adequate so that you can do every single good work that God's called you to do. I love this fact, right? When you think about the authority of the Scripture, uh, this is what we need to jump up and down on as preachers. It's not our opinions, right? Even, you know, pastor and people would come and say, uh, Levi, you know, I, I want your opinion on, you know, whatever the matter is. I wouldn't give my opinion, right? Because my opinion doesn't matter. So instead, what I want to do is I want to say, well, let's look at what God's Word says and let's look at this together, right? And so, God's Word is the authority, not my opinion. And, and by the way, when people are looking for opinions, they're just looking for somebody to qualify their opinion, right? And then they can say, well, preacher so-and-so said it, that's what I believe. And that's, that's not the authority. The authority is Scripture. Now, regardless of whether or not you like uh, his you know, soteriology, John MacArthur is probably the best at this. If you've ever watched him on YouTube with his... Um, with his interviews with Larry King, Larry King will ask him questions and say, you know, Pastor MacArthur, what do you think about? And he'll ask a question. Now, Larry King's question is, what do you think about? But John MacArthur never tells Larry King what he thinks about the subject. He always goes to the authority of Scripture. Right? So he'll say, uh, John MacArthur, you, you believe that there's only one way to get into heaven. And then John MacArthur will respond and say, Simply, uh, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to God the Father but through me. So what is he doing? He's never offering up an opinion. He's always pointing to Scripture. And I don't know if you guys, do y'all know who Ben Shapiro is? All right, so he's a commentator, conservative commentator. He has some great stuff. Uh, he's philosophically and religiously a Jewish individual, but he's not a follower of Jesus. But who's he interviewing? Some of his greatest interviews, he brought in John MacArthur. He brought in Ravi Zacharias, and he's asking them questions specifically about their theology. And what I love about Ravi, as well as John MacArthur, is both of them are always going back to the authority of Scripture. And in, just for free, I thought it was awesome. Uh, John MacArthur used Isaiah 53 to actually share the gospel with Ben Shapiro in this interview. But what is he doing? He's using the authority of Scripture every single time, the authority of Scripture. And that's how our sermons need to be. They don't need to be laced with man's opinion or our opinion. They need to be full of the Word of God. Matter of fact, just a few warnings that we receive out of 1 Corinthians. And I'm just going to give this to you very quickly. But uh, don't preach with words of human wisdom. You'll empty the cross of its power. That's 1 Corinthians 1. Don't worry about lack of eloquence or superior wisdom. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I think that's huge, right? You don't have to be eloquent in your delivery. You don't have to have the best stories. You don't have to have, you know, the, the most profound statements in your uh, presentation. You just need to preach the Word. Are you all with me on this? Now, this was huge because for me, for years, I thought I had to sound smart whenever I preached. You know what I discovered? The smarter I sounded, the less people picked up. 
But whenever I dumbed it down, and I'm using that loosely, that term, but whenever I got extremely simple, that's when the Lord really started working. Adrian Rogers just reminded me, and I was told this story, so I'm, I think it's true. <laughs> but uh, Adrian Rogers said he would write a sermon, and when he was done with it, he would go back and make it simpler. And then after he did that one time, he'd go back and make it simpler. And then when he did it the third time, he said he would go back and make it so simple that he was embarrassed to preach it. And when he was embarrassed to preach it, that's when he knew he was ready. That's crazy. Because you think about, you know, Adrian Rogers, you're like, man, that guy's unbelievable preaching. But if you go back and listen to his sermons, you, they're shockingly simple. But there was great power behind that. God was just using it. But anyway, don't worry about lack of eloquence. Here's another one. Proclaim the testimony about God, not yourself. Focus on Jesus, 1 Corinthians 2. Preach in humility, 1 Corinthians 2. Be careful about relying on clever words, 1 Corinthians 2. Trust the Holy Spirit to demonstrate power, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So again, just because I have it written in my notes here, no one needs to know our opinions. They need to know the truth of God's Word. That's our role as preachers. Right? We are the postmen. We don't write the mail, we deliver it. Y'all with me? Alright, which leads me to the why in pray, and that is we need to be yielded to the Holy Spirit. So we need the empowerment of the Spirit of God to use us whenever we preach. Ephesians 5.18, Paul writes this, Don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Y'all know that text, right? And you think about a drunk person. Somebody gets drunk. Uh, what's different about a drunk person? Well, the drunk person thinks differently. They see differently. They see double, sometimes triple, right? So they, see, they talk differently. They walk differently. Every single thing about a person who is drunk is evidenced in how they behave. You know they're drunk because of their behavior. So what Paul the Apostle does, which I think is unique, is he says, don't get drunk with wine, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. So whenever the Spirit of God has complete control of your life and mine, it changes how we think, it changes how we see things, it changes how we talk, it changes how we walk. And this is Paul writing to followers of Jesus, right? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then how much more so do we need to be filled whenever we stand up and deliver God's Word? So when you stand behind the pulpit, the reality is uh, you should be a dead man, right? We're crucified with Christ. It's no longer us who live, but it is Jesus who lives in and through us. So we are dead men. So don't be so concerned about what everybody thinks about you because you're dead. It is the Spirit of God who makes us alive. And so we have to offer up, as Paul says in Romans, we offer up our bodies as living sacrifices unto the Lord. So times of prayer, even before going up to preach, are times when you might just need to go through your entire body and offer it afresh and anew to the Lord. So Lord, I offer you my mind right now. Or Lord, I offer you my eyes. I offer you my ears. I offer you my mouth. I offer you my hands. I offer you my feet, right? Every single thing that I have, top of my head, bottom of my toe, is all yours. Use me. Are y'all with me on this? So this is huge, right? So whenever you preach, whenever I preach, again, we want to make sure that the attention and the focus is not upon us, but instead is upon Jesus. Uh, you, nor me, we don't have the power to save a soul. Right? But it is Christ who saves. So we want to elevate Christ. And that's what Paul says, right? I, I didn't want to come and know nothing among you except Jesus and Him crucified. That has to be our motto. That has to be our heart. So if we want power in our preaching, we've got to spend time in prayer. We've got to have personal devotion. Uh, all of the things that we just shared with you. Uh, a real need for God. Authority for Scripture. And yielded to the Holy Spirit. Which leads me now really to the more practical session, right? So the second question is, how do we preach with purpose? And that's when I give you this uh, layout called PLAN, P-L-A-N, and it's just another acrostic. But the P here stands for planning retreat. So like I said, this is uh, stuff that, that I've done, I've learned from other people that's been extremely helpful in my life, so hopefully it will be in yours, but... The goal of a planning retreat really is to sketch out an entire year's worth of preaching. Uh, this is going to enable you to do a couple of things. One, to become extremely focused throughout the year on where you're seeking to lead God's people. And then secondly, it creates margin for creativity 
and purpose in your messages. So whenever we talk about a planning retreat, I encourage people to go away by yourself. Uh, Encourage at least 24 hours, 48 hours if you can do it. Um, Matter of fact, I'll let you know that the Baptist retreat centers that we have right here in Georgia, all of them have an opportunity for pastors to go to. Uh, Some of them are free, some of them are very minimal in cost. But you can just call up, say, I want to come for, you know, Monday night, Tuesday night. And it's just a planning retreat. You're just getting along with the Lord and um, you're unplugging from everything. So it allows you to focus. You're unplugging from current events. Uh, I encourage people to put their phone aside so you won't be constantly bombarded with text messages and emails and phone calls. Turn the thing off. Right? If you want to create a window in the day to check your phone, you can do that. But don't allow that to distract you. But then as you go, here's what you need. You need a Bible. Would y'all agree on that? Uh, You need a computer, or at least this is what I encourage people to do. Get a computer with some internet access. Then get a yellow pad or at least a sheet of paper with the listed Sundays in the left-hand column. Now this is is what I do. I get a, a legal pad. So it's several sheets of paper, but I'll write down the first Sunday at the top left-hand corner, you know, so maybe it's like January the 3rd, and then I go January the 10th, January the 17th, you get the picture, right? So I've got every Sunday kind of written in a line. I group January, I give a little space, and I go to February, here's all the Sundays, January, February, March, April, all the way through the entirety of the year. So I have them all kind of running down the left-hand column of it ends up being a couple of sheets of uh, legal paper, but it allows me to see the whole year at one simple glance. And then I encourage guys to make sure that you get local school calendars, right? Because there are, are things that are happening in the, the school system that affect Sundays. Have y'all noticed this yet, by the way? Right? You want to know when spring breaks are. You want to know when fall breaks are. You want to know when... Uh, Christmas break is. You want to know when school starts back. You want to know when school starts in August. So what are, what are those dates? You want to have all of those in front of you. And depending on your, your context, uh, Concord where I was was a multi-site. So whenever I would go on a planning retreat, I had to get I had to get Lumpkin County School Systems, Habersham County School Systems, Hall County School Systems, and White County School Systems. They're all with me? So we had to pull all of those together so that I could get an understanding of where everybody was going to be throughout the year. So that's the local school calendars I encourage people to grab. Church events calendar. So you may have certain events throughout your calendar year. Some people do homecoming every year. Some people have revival weeks every year. Uh, some people have uh, special events just in their church that are uh, kind of just for your church. But you want to know what those dates are. And then you'll want to know when your vacation weekends are going to happen. And I always encourage guys, when you sit down with the blank uh, sheet of paper just with the Sundays written on there, go ahead and put in where your vacations are going to be. Choose those first. Now this is huge, right? You're not the man because you preach 51 weekends out of the year. You with me? That's not wise, I don't think. You and I in ministry, we're in a marathon, not a sprint. And I will tell you, uh, I used to think you were the man if you preached 51 weekends out of the year because that's what I used to do. And then I got rebuked for it. Are you all with me? Yeah. Jojo Thomas, my associational director up in northeast Georgia, unbelievable man of God, who's also a member of our church, he came to me one day and said, you're not taking enough vacation. You need to take weekends off. I was like, Jojo, what are you talking about? He said, it's not good for you. It's not good for you, and it's not a good model for the church. Y'all with me? So I listened to JoJo. He's he's taught me a whole lot, by the way. I love JoJo Thomas. Now, he didn't just come out of the blue and tell me that, or I'd have been like, who are you? (laughs) But he he and I have a great relationship, so he's just helping me. And literally, I would go back and say, okay, these are the weekends that I know I'm taking off for the year. So anyway, you want to jot those down, and then... um, you know, whenever you have that planning retreat, you want a listening ear. That's really the goal. You're trying to listen to God. You want to get along with Him. So the P is planning retreat. And I, I will tell you, somebody asked me last, uh, in the earlier session, they were like, is it hard to plan out an entire year? And my response was, I thought that it was going to be. But then when I got there and did it, I was pretty shocked at how simple it actually was. I think I mentally had made it a lot more difficult than it was going to be. But what it did for me when I planned out the whole year was amazing. I mean, first of all, it freed my mind up, right? But it also allowed me to get real uh, specific in the things that I was reading and listening to. 
because I was aligning everything I was listening to and reading with what I knew I was going to be preaching for that year. So I'd be taking copious notes. I would have files for specific things that were coming up that I knew were coming down the line. And when, it's, when I had an opportunity to sit down and preach, or sit down rather and prepare for the sermon, I had tons of stuff already accumulated over the course of the year. Just very, very helpful. So the Peace Planning Retreat, the L is a Leverage Special ser- Series. Leverage Special Series. So when I think of a series of messages, I think uh, typically think of them in two major categories. There are series that are designed uh, for your church members to invite unchurched people. Uh, there are also message series designed specifically for your church so that you're training them for a specific action which coincides with our mission. And by the way, every church should have the same mission because we were given that by Jesus, right? We go and make disciples. That's our mission. So I need to have some series where I'm training our people to actually do just that, to to make disciples. So to help us think through that for a moment, let me uh, first of all say, uh, I encourage people, and this may sound weird, so I'll explain it, but leverage the waves of ministry, the waves. All right, I've never been in surfing. Anybody been surfing before? You have for real? Yeah, man. I haven't. But I do know this from watching TV. That whenever you go surfing, you want to wait for the big wave to come in. That's the one you want to ride, right? Well, in your ministry life throughout the year, there are usually three major waves that come through. So there's the wave of the new year, there's the wave of Easter, and there's the wave of school starting back in August, right? And I call those waves because those are the time frames when uh, people will show up who've been kind of AWOL, Right? So, you know, summertime is always difficult. So people are in and out because they're on vacation. But August is when everybody gets back into their routine. They get back into school. So everybody kind of shows up. Uh, also, during these particular waves that I've discussed, uh, those are time frames when unchurched people are more likely to show up at your church. So then you begin to kind of ask the question. Uh, each of these waves provides their own momentum So what is it that I can do? What biblical series can I use to kind of be a hook for those people whenever they show back up? So a couple of ways that I look at this when I'm planning out a year is I may say, you know, uh, this year I want to preach a series on marriage. I didn't preach one last year, so I'm going to do one this year. So I will choose a time frame. When do I want to do that? I may choose to do that at the front of the year, right? So maybe not the first Sunday of January, but the second Sunday, we know everybody's going to be back. I'm going to, I'm going to do a marriage series there. Right, and then I may look at it and say, I'm going to do a, a family series, right? I did a family series a couple years ago called This Is Us. That was, you know, I kind of grabbed the whole title of that CBS show that was so popular called This Is Us and just preached on family. The marriage series I did last, I think, was called Let's Dance. Are y'all with me on that? That went over well at the Baptist church, by the way. But anyway, I called it Let's Dance. I talked about the husband's role in marriage. I talked about the wife's role in marriage and how all of that was a picture of the gospel. Uh, did a parenting series once. I did a series on emotions, which I honestly was kind of shocked. I didn't realize that was going to be such an invite series, but it ended up being that way. Uh, the title of that was War Within, Overcoming Debilitating Emotions. So I taught on anxiety and worry. I taught on envy and jealousy. I taught a sermon on anger, right? I was pretty shocked. I had more people talk about the sermon on anger. I didn't realize so many people had anger issues. You know, but they do. So, uh, but all of this was used primarily not just to give truth, obviously, to those who are present, but they're used as invitational times for our church family, right? Our Easter series. I encourage guys, preach a series either leading up to Easter, that, that throughout that time frame, you're using that just to encourage the missionaries in your church, which by the way, my, my concept is every Christian is a missionary. So the missionaries in your church, so that you're encouraging them to bring people to that Easter service, um, or begin a series on Easter and carry it out the new, next few weeks. So you're starting something new. All those new people show up in Easter. And next, you know, next Sunday, we're going to continue this uh, message series. You're kind of giving people a hook to come back. So, so very huge to me. Um, 
Uh, I say a series uh, can be, some people ask me how long should they be. I say two weeks, four weeks. Some guys are six to eight. I guess it all depends on what you want to do. But I don't know if it's uh, my attention span that is short. That's why I say two or four, or if it's everybody else's. But I like two or four weeks. Um, outside of, just so you guys, this is just free information, outside of me preaching series of messages like I've just described, I just preach through books of the Bible, right? So I'll preach through, I mean, I was two and a half years, I preached through the Gospel of Luke at Concord, right? But when I mapped it out for my preaching schedule, I would, you know, I would take paragraphs and put them on particular Sundays when I'd be preaching them. And then I'd have a series. We'd take a break out of Luke's Gospel. I'd preach on a, a series on family or whatever. And then we'd jump right back into Luke's Gospel the next six or eight weeks. Did it, that make sense what I just did? It did in my head. I wasn't sure if it did in y'all's. But anyway, so that's, that's huge. Now I also say uh, leverage equipping your fellowship. So there are times in a church's life when you know that guests will not be as high. Right? And th- those times in the life of the churches that I've pastored have been uh, summer time. So in June, typically you have vacation Bible school, you have summer camps, you've got um, mission trips that are going on. But then in July, everybody's just going all over the place. Have y'all noticed this? You would be too if you weren't the pastor. Right? You'd be traveling as well. But I sat back, I used to get frustrated at that because our attendance went down and it bothered me. But then I sat back and asked the question, who's actually here in July? And what we discovered when that question was asked is that the majority of our staple leaders were present throughout the month of July. So then I backed up and said, okay, what is it that we can do in the month of July that would really equip our key leaders in preparation for the wave that we know is going to come in August? Are y'all with me? So I would actually use July. Uh, we would call, we would have a July series going on, and it was all designed for me directly to speak to the leadership of our church. So I did a series, you know, on our mission, uh, which is make disciples everywhere. Talked about what a disciple looked like. Talked about how to make disciples. Uh, I taught this deal called No Sweat Discipleship, which, by the way, it's all free, so I'm not trying to sell you anything. But if you need an easy, simple, transferable, timeless discipleship model, NoSweatDiscipleship.com. Y'all with me? NoSweatDiscipleship.com. And uh, all that stuff that you need is there, super free. But anyway, I use that to teach our church family how to actually make disciples, how to spend time alone with the Lord, how to teach somebody else to spend time alone with the Lord. No sweat discipleship. But we just began to kind of leverage our time frames uh, really to make a, a difference in the life of our church family. Does that make sense to you? What time did you say I was supposed to be done? Four five. Woo! All right. You're the man, baby. All right. Um, any questions so far? The other group was just real talkative. You guys are just chilling and listening, which I appreciate. Any questions whatsoever that have kind of sprung into your mind as they were going through? I'm sorry. You're getting it. I like it. All right. Well, we'll keep rolling in. But if you have one, just holler at me. How you do it in two days? How you do what now? My planning retreat. I do a planning retreat too. Do you really? Wow. Yeah. Well, you're the man. I'm glad you can do that. Well, because for That's exactly right. I think. I think. It helps the weekly. Yes. Because now I have to worry about. Because to me, half the Baptists come up and preach on. That's very true. If you've already got. No, you're exactly right, man. You're exactly right. I think the reason that it's probably I can I go quicker with that than the average pastor is because I already have a book in mind that I know I'm going to preach through. So paragraphing that out is pretty simple, and then just putting those texts of scripture on days in the Sunday fill up pretty quick. So really, most of my you know, attention, so to speak, is focused on what series uh, do we need to kind of go through as a church? What, what is it that happening in our church that we can kind of preach on that would be beneficial? And then where to plug those throughout the year. So I was going to say that uh, one of the, I do a repetitious prayer before I walk in the Yeah. That I got from, uh, I think it was Ian Thomas from his Right. I said, Lord, I can't you never said good you can you said y'all do that. <laughs> That's great, man. I mean, that helps me, you know. I love that, yeah. Focus on the Lord and 
All right, say it again for everybody. I can't. I, I can't. You never said I could. You can't. You said you always would. Yeah, I love that. Man. I do that's awesome. It's not original with me. I know. I'm going to steal it anyway, though. I'm going to make it out like it was original with me. That's right. Yeah, that's good, man. All right. So I, did, I didn't say this, but it's in my notes, but leverage books of the Bible. So, again, the way I grow personally is through systematic verse-by-verse -verse study of Scripture. That's the way I love to preach. Right? So, always helpful. Uh, I encourage people, if you're doing that, read the book. Go ahead, paragraph the book out. Put the paragraphs on Sundays to preach. And then leveraging your series and really leveraging these waves that we've kind of talked about, they do several things, but they help build margin in your life so that you can be creative, right? So you can be creative maybe if you have PowerPoint, you can be creative with what your slides are going to look like. If you want to use video elements uh, to kind of complement the message uh, that gives you time to be creative. If you want to decorate your stage to kind of go along with whatever the series is, it gives you time to do that as well. I did a series on uh, just our ministry uh, model at our church one, one, one time. And what I did is I, I had a huge iPad. I had a guy build an iPad that was like, it was taller than me, wider than me, it was huge, right? And then we, uh, we projected the screen on the iPad. So whenever I would go up and I was teaching on, uh, our ministry model was worship, reach, grow, and serve. But when I was teaching on worship, I would press the icon for worship and it was just PowerPoint, right? But I pressed the icon, and the guy in the PowerPoint booth would press the button, and then it would go to the next thing, right? So everybody literally thought it was a real iPad, which made no sense. But anyway, but that was that was just something large. But I would have never had time to, to think about doing that had I not planned the year out, right? That, that margin of time gives me the opportunity to say, how can I effectively communicate this and, and get people's attention? And even using props, Y'all remember, and some of you guys, y'all may still do this, but you have the children come forward in church and you'll do like an object lesson with the kids and then you send them back to receive the receipt uh, you, It is amazing how people will grab hold of, as adults, object lessons and pay attention. But I can be preaching a sermon and half the church be asleep. But if I pull the prop out, all of a sudden everybody leans in and they're like, what's next? You know, It's like, really? <laughs> but anyway, I'm using a prop this afternoon, by the way. I don't use them every single sermon, but I can pull those things in and by the way, it's biblical to do that. Y'all remember a guy named, what's his name, Jeremiah? He used so many props. Then he took that clay pot and busted it down and said, that's what the fathers are like. So anyway, using props is lit. Jesus did too, by the way, right? So, you know, it talks about, I love it. So it just gives you an opportunity, but it also helps you be creative in, uh, and I know this is a secular term, I just can't figure out a better way to say it, but creative in marketing the series that's coming up, right? So uh, for us, Concord was off the road. Like it, you didn't know where Concord was unless you were driving to Concord, right? But we did have a major road, 129, that runs between Gainesville and Cleveland. So we would take advantage and, and uh, buy billboard signs out on the 129. And we'd put the name of the series up there and invite people to come. We would give our church family invite cards like you got today. Those 250 free invite cards is pretty awesome. But we'd make a ton of those, and usually we would use not the square, but just like a little um, business card or whatever, and they would invite. Uh, there were a couple of restaurants where I got to know the owners, and so I convinced them to allow me to buy some stands to put on every single one of their tables. And then I would go in and put the series, or we'd have somebody do it, but put, put kind of like a little, uh, almost like a postcard size picture there that talked about the series that was coming up. Because everybody went to that you know, Mexican restaurant and ate, and there it is, there's an invite. And then, I think too, don't, don't underestimate what your people can do as far as inviting folks, right? They want to invite, they just need to be equipped to do so. So when you give them invite cards, all that kind of stuff, all of that helps you. But really and truly, if you just, you know, on Wednesday, come up with an idea for a series starting this coming Sunday, it's real hard to promote for that, right? So if I have a, a hook series in August when school comes back, Throughout the entire month of July, I'm preaching, but I'm also saying, hey, in August, we're going to do a series entitled Monsters Within, Overcoming Debilitating Emotions. Man, go ahead and think about who you can invite. It's going to be an awesome time, right? But I'm just repeatedly telling people about that series. We put posters up in the church that talked about 
you know, kind of like in my mind, I was thinking movie posters, you know, how you can see the movie posters and they tell you when the movie's coming out. We do the same thing. So movie poster, here's the series that's coming up. And we just put that throughout the church. Are y'all with me? But you can't, like none of us can really do that if we don't know what we're preaching on. So last thing we want to do is subject our congregation to Saturday night specials. Y'all with me on this? Saturday night, you still haven't written a sermon. Look, your two major things to do as a pastor is to lead and to feed. Right? Sunday morning is feeding time. And, and we have to have a meal prepared for them. So we've got to be prepared. All right, which leads me to what letter am I on now? Okay, so acquire resources. Acquire resources. So you've got your yearly schedule laid out. question is what resources do you need? I've kind of already alluded to this, but let me just say it because it's here. Two major categories, reading material and listening material. When I talk about reading material, what commentaries do I know I need? Uh, what books do I need to purchase? If I'm preaching a series on marriage, I want to read a couple of books on marriage uh, in preparation for that. What websites do I need to grab hold of, articles, etc.? Any kind of reading material. It allows me to go ahead and accumulate that uh, at the beginning of the year, which is extremely helpful. And then listening materials. You and I, man, we've got the benefit today of listening to sermons on the same passages of Scripture that we're going to be working on. So if I'm preaching through the Gospel of Luke, well, I want to go out and find other guys who preach through the Gospel of Luke. Let me listen to their sermons. Now, I'm not ganking or stealing their sermons. You know what I mean? I'm not preaching what they're preaching, but I'm listening and I'm growing in the, in the, as a result of that. Podcasts, you've got so many. YouTube, uh, Audible, which are books basically on tape. You know what I mean? So you can listen to those. Uh, that's huge. And it, especially if you have drive time in your car, Turn your car into a mobile seminary. Are you with me? Listen to stuff, man. Turn off Dirks Bentley. And listen to some preaching. Y'all know who Dirks Bentley is? Maybe. He's a... Oh, he knows who Adrian Rogers is. Yeah, I got you, man. Dirk Bentley. He's, he's a country music singer, by the way. I thought y'all would jump on that. Y'all did not. All right. Uh, your reading and listening uh, at this point, when you know what you're preaching on, can coincide with your message preparation. You take good notes as you kind of walk through that as well. And in so doing, man, you're just filing stuff at that point. And then when you sit down and you get ready to write that series on marriage or series on parenting or, or even going through a passage of Scripture through Luke's Gospel or whatever it is, you've got stuff already compiled because you've been reading and studying on that the entire time. Does that make sense? Very it makes life a lot simpler, let's put it that way, and helps you be more purposeful in your delivery. All right, so the end, which is the last one, uh, is nail down your study habits. Nail down your study habits. All communicators of the Word should follow a form or a process that enables them to accomplish the task of sermon preparation in a timely fashion. A pastor uh, needs to determine what their process is, they need to block out their time for study and they need to protect their time for study. You with me on this? When I say block it out, in my mind, time blocking is you looking at your weekly schedule and saying from this time to this time, all I'm doing is studying to preach. And when I, when I block it out on my calendar, I'm letting my ministry assistant know. I even let our church know. Right? So my, my MO was Mondays were my study day. All day Monday. That's all I was doing, studying to preach. So I told our you know, ministry assistant, somebody calls, unless it is a dire emergency, I'll call them at the end of the day or I'll see them tomorrow. You with me? So I would just block that out. It was just total silence. That's what I was focused on. But you protect that like a halt. And I, I will tell you too, when you let your church know what your process is, they'll respect that. They'll appreciate it. I've actually had people call me on Tuesday and say, I was going to call you Monday, but I know that's your study day. Right? How do they know that? Because I told them. You know what I mean? Just remind them. Hey, y'all pray for me on Mondays. That's when I study to preach. All day Monday. So, Chuck Swindoll. Y'all heard of this guy before? Yes, sir. All right. So I read his book on communication. And I feel bad because I can't remember the title of the book. But it's a, it's a newer book. But it's a, it was a good one. He actually puts his process in for sermon prep. So let me tell y'all what it is. Here's what he says. On Monday... I read the text aloud. I'm trying to discover the need of the original audience. On Tuesday, I observe the original language, encyclopedias, dictionaries, history references, atlases, and commentaries. On Wednesday, 
I put together a completed outline and I turned it in for our worship folder. I put a clear introduction with a 15-word first sentence. I didn't know this about Chuck Swindoll until I read this book, but every sermon he begins with a 15-word sentence. And that first sentence basically is the totality of what he's about to preach. That's crazy, isn't it? It's not easy either. I've tried it before. I gave up. <laughs> yeah, I know, but he did, I don't know why he says 15 words, but that's kind of like his little 15 word limit is all I'm doing, and I'm writing down in one sentence what the whole sermon is. Pretty impressive. They call it CIT in seminary. What is that central? What does that stand for? Central idea of the text. That's right. And then, uh, let's see, Thursday, further digging and provision of insight to make each point clear for his audience. Friday is mental review of the message. Uh, he says he lets it steep. And then on Saturday, he makes the passage uh, and the sermon a matter of prayer most of the day. He sits alone. He reads his notes. Then on Sunday, he says he's up early. He looks at his notes. He makes some last adjustments. And then he gets up and preaches. Okay. Now, his, his schedule is different than mine, right? Because he's like all every day throughout the week. I don't do that. Do what now? Are you sure enough? Yes. So, I'm not spending that much time. No, I got you. I got you. See, I, I do, I manuscript mine. So uh, Monday, I sit down. I already know what, the, what either the series is or the text is. And I don't get up until I've written the whole thing. Right? So introduction, conclusion, bye. But in the introduction, this is kind of how I roll out. When I... I start off by reading the text, and then I go to a word study of the text, and then once I have a word study of the text done, I rewrite the text in my own paraphrase, and then I pull out the key major points of the text. Obviously, I'm, I'm thinking through the original audience, the author, all that kind of jazz as well, so context obviously is king. But then once I have kind of the, the major points in there, then I look at it and play Jeopardy with it, which seems awkward, but Jeopardy is... Uh, what is one question I can ask that these main points answer? You with me? And then in the introduction of the message, I create the question. So I'm, I'm driving the question with everybody that I'm you know, preaching to. And then the answers to the question are the main points that I'm preaching. You'll see that this afternoon if you, if you don't fall asleep on me. But you'll have, uh, you'll have a key question in the introduction. And then every point that I give is going to answer that question. And there's something interesting to me about that. Whenever you get everybody on board with a key question in an introduction, they want to know the answer. So it actually causes them to lean in and want to know, well, what is the answer? Just like, you know, how do you preach with power? Well, you know, pray was the answer, but then I gave you the, the, four, the four statements. How do you preach with purpose? Plan, but then I gave you the answer, right? So y'all are writing the answer now. So that's kind of how I put together messages. But I do it all on one day. Um, and then I make the points. I work on those really hard to um, be action-oriented, uh, to be applicational in nature. Um, that was helpful for me. I had a buddy of mine. His name is Patrick Latham. He and I went to seminary together. But we listened to each other preach on a regular basis. And then we critique each other's preaching. Which, by the way, that will hurt your feelings. Y'all with me on that? You finish preaching, you, th you think it was a good sermon. Then your buddy's like, I didn't know what you was talking about. You know what I mean? But uh, he helped me with that because my statements or my points in the message used to be very um, non-applicational, right? I would just make a statement and then I would preach on it. Now, it was biblical, but it wasn't an, an immediate application to the people who were listening. So as I began to work on that, kind of hone that skill of applicational points, that, that became so much uh, easier for me to communicate to the church. Five minutes. Sir? Five minutes. Five minutes. Five minutes. Let's put it this way. I'm done. Um, that makes it easy, doesn't it? So, this is very true. Yes, sir. That's exactly right. All right. But listen, I mean, bottom line is, without the Lord, none of us can preach with power or purpose. Right? So... Uh, it was an interesting topic I was given to, to teach on, but I appreciate it. It gave me an opportunity to, to think through my own preaching as well. So, 
Listen, thank you guys for coming. Are there any questions whatsoever y'all want to throw out? Some of that scripture you gave, remember this chapter here, you and me for God's First Corinthians 2, 3, and then 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 5. Chapter 2, verse 3. Yes, sir. That's right. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 3. That's right. Hey, I will tell you guys too, uh, just so you kind of know what's coming down the pike from the Georgia Baptist Mission Board, which is exciting, is uh, eventually we're going to have an evangelistic cat or an evangelism consultant in every single region throughout the state. So if you hadn't heard this before, uh, what we're doing is breaking down Georgia into six major regions. And so in each region will be an evangelism consultant. And uh, that evangelism consultant is going to be there uh, basically to help raise the evangelistic uh, fervor of churches in his region. But it's also an opportunity for us to have access to pastors and what their real needs are so that we can create resources that actually meet y'all's needs. That makes good sense, doesn't it? But we'll have some evergreen resources that will come out uh, that will be true basically at any point in time. But then we're going to tailor some resources to help you guys. So I'm excited about the days ahead and seeing what the Lord's going to do. Do you have your hand up? Yeah, what's your role? Well, I'm the catalyst of evangelist. I know, right? So I'm basically the director of evangelism for the state. So the six guys who will be evangelism consultants will kind of work with me. That's the team I'm putting together right now. Right? That's a good question, though. I'll, yeah, I don't know what I do, to be honest with you. I've been there two and a half months figuring it out. I'm sorry? No, sir. Not that I'm aware of. If he is, I haven't been told. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I literally have been there two and a half months at this point. But uh, we're putting a team together and already got some great resources that we're working on that I think are really going to be beneficial. I told you about No Sweat Discipleship. Uh, I just finished writing the content for No Sweat Evangelism. So that will be coming out as well, hopefully. Uh, by middle of next year. So we'll have all that stuff. A lot of fun. Man. All right. Let me pray for you. Is that good? All right. Father, thank you for these guys. Put your hand on them. Continue to use them as they deliver the gospel. Father, I pray for them as they get prepared to preach tomorrow. So Lord, as they stand to preach, would you just give them unction from heaven to be able to deliver what you desire for your people. Lord, help us to keep in mind as pastors, as leaders, uh, one of our major primary roles is to feed your people. And what a great privilege that is to serve your people the food uh, that really does satisfy. So just, just use us and we'll give you glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, bless you guys. Appreciate you, man.